Young Nostalgia. We're testing positive for one of the best podcasts in the universe. Let's take a look. Nostalgia. I'm Nolan. As always, Ben is beside me for episode 93 of one of the best podcasts around. Thank you so much for sticking with us on our little hiatus that we didn't do anything that we told you we were going to do, but we're back. And I absolutely did not prepare much for this intro. Do you expect much of anything else? It's so good to be here um, into the new kind of podcasting space. Got a little bit bigger of a place. Michelle and I did. Moved in about uh, two and a half weeks ago um, and here we are we are back at it ben how you doing today big guy i'm doing good and i'd like to add a retraction for like the bed best podcast in the universe a retraction a retraction so i think it would be better to say we are the best podcast that talks about nostalgia with two guys who are unqualified to talk about such material (laughs) While also podcasting <laughs> separately, one being in Nebraska and Ohio. And I can honestly say that we are 100% the best podcast that fits that whole criteria. Oh, my God. That's our that's our Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> but it has to have it has to have the wrong cover art for some other podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like our names misspelled. Right, yeah, names misspelled. Oh my god, dude, it's so good to see you. It's so good to be back. It is. Um, I'll tell you, man, just like just being able to like be home more often instead of like not even being allowed to like go anywhere, even though I'm working full time like usual. You as well. The fact that the weekends come and you still can't do anything, it's like okay, now what can I do? And so we fell down the trap of cooking shows. Oh gosh. As, oh as my happy goodness. and nice they should. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> I I pop in every now and then when Michelle is watching, and I'll tell you, as you know, happy as some of them can be, I have never felt more disappointed in my entire life when I watched Master Chef Junior, and an eight-year-old kid is making gourmet-style food, and I can't even freaking pull like pour a bowl of Cheerios <laughs> or toast <laughs> a piece of bread, right? Like. <laughs> I'm like, what in the hell is going on? And they're making these like perfect salmon fillets. And Gordon Ramsay is like, you are phenomenal. And I'm like. And you're like, you're like Squidward when he takes over for SpongeBob. Like, you burnt my shake. (laughs) You burnt my shake. Yeah, my God. Um, Yeah, that's something. back from break. Um, we're not into the cooking shows at all. Um, that being said, we have been doing, I mean, we always cook a lot anyway, but we're doing a, getting home a little bit earlier in the day and stuff. I've been doing a lot of grilling. Uh, we just Ooh. got a grill a couple weeks ago, uh, probably closer to probably a couple months ago now. Um, prior to this, we had never had a grill and, uh, and we are grilling probably multiple times a week at this point. Oh, that's um, perfect. And I tell you what, especially now that you guys moved and maybe have uh, a little bit better accommodations for it, I cannot mm-hmm. recommend it enough. A, because grilled food is delicious. Right. But also, they're zero cleanup, man. We're doing. We're at the point where we're doing like 
entire meals on the grill. No way. Like whatever meat we have, we'll do uh, like baked potatoes. We'll do them on the, like let them start before the rest of the food. Or uh, we'll do like potato packs with butter and uh, garlic and and, and onions in like a foil pack and just let them chill on the grill while we're uh, cooking the rest of the, the meat. Um, and so like you come inside, like the only dishes to do are plates and silverware. That is it. Right. After a full meal. That's amazing. Yes. So that's amazing. Like, because in the back of my head right now, I know I have 12 bowls, three mixing bowls, uh, four different plates I need to wash right now. Oh yeah. None of that. I mean, you you might have other (laughs) stuff. Like if you're, if you're cutting potatoes or meat, you might have to like wash the cutting board or something like that. But for the most part, you can throw everything on the grill, come back in and wash it up and be done. Right. You know, like, yeah, it's not like you have the skillet and a crock pot and another bowl that you were boiling whatever in, you know, you don't have any of that. Right. Um, Right. So especially since you guys are in that different place, cannot recommend it enough. Absolutely. And then, you know, that's been on my mind quite a bit this summer because we're on the first floor and we have kind of like a little stoop out back with kind of like a whole front yard, I guess you could say, or Mm -hmm. backyard that is pretty much just ours. So it would be great to like have a grill out there, nice. put a couple chairs out and, and enjoy it. But, you know, kind of bringing full circle. Another thing I wanted to bring up is that cooking shows also give me anxiety because I feel bad for the people <laughs> that have to do the dishes after everyone is <laughs> done cleaning. Like, where else is that going to go? Yeah, because I mean, like, you, like you're standing at your own stove or whatever and you're like being mindful, like, oh, I'm cooking this, blah, blah, and, and uh, be right. careful not to let it stick and get nasty. Those people are like, <laughs> burn it. <laughs> whatever yeah, i'm no. not cleaning it <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> oh my god absolutely yeah and like no wonder it takes me like double the time to cook in the kitchen because i like to clean while i go you know oh yes so yep. so whenever like i help michelle cook it's like me just doing like dishes while she's like she'll like finish something i'll be right behind her and like grab it and then clean it Oh, that's, that's the way helping. to do it. You clean something while it's still hot. It comes right. You got, Absolutely. Darn, you can darn near rinse everything off. You don't even have to like scrub anything. That's the way to do it. Right. Right. Oh my God. I love it. We've just wasted six minutes so, of our first episode. Is back. this a new podcast idea? Are we going to start a dual podcast where it's <laughs> cooking Wait, with we've... Nolan and Ben? <laughs> 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 cooking fundamentals. <laughs> oh my God. I can see it now on our Wikipedia page. Yeah. For the other podcast regarding <laughs> cooking, click here. Yeah, cooking for noobs. Yeah, cooking for <laughs> noobs. But the the O's are actually zeros. Yeah. <laughs> um It'd be our luck. That podcast would be probably vastly more successful than the one we actually like enjoy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We've been doing this for three years, still have the same listener base. Right. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> uh. You guys are uh, great. It's All funny because right. so it's episode, sad. <laughs> but we have fun. We can see each other while social distancing and podcast. This is social distancing to an extreme. What are we like, eight hundred miles right. apart? We practically invented it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We were social distancing before it was cool. Right. Yeah. Before it was cool. <laughs> Episode 93 uh, for you guys. We're actually going to be talking about a hot topic, which is in terms of pandemics. We don't want this to be bleak or, you know, depressing or anything, but we thought it would be kind of an interesting idea to kind of take a step back and roll through history in terms of, you know, you know, 
as big as COVID-19 has become, and as much as we hope that everyone is safe and okay, this kind of thing has happened ever since history started being history. Um, There's always been plagues, there's always been epidemics, there's always been something that kind of knocks the human race down a couple notches, um, and we kind of have to rebuild and adapt to what uh, this world can can hold and mother nature. So that's what we're going to be doing is kind of talking about prehistoric as well as up through the ages up until now. And as well as kind of analyzing what had changed along those times that, you know, we've kind of learned from, um, and kind of made it into today with our response as well as just kind of how people are adapting themselves. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Anything else, big guy, before we get into it? No, I think this is good. I think uh, your intro to it was good, you know, talking about how, you know, uh, COVID-19 currently going on right now, you know, a pretty big deal dominates the news cycles. But as we're going to kind of talk about, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a big deal, but it's also not at the same time. Um, And, you know, it it might seem insensitive, but, um, you know, it's something that happens relatively speaking through the course of human history it's relatively often that it happens um and it's oftentimes much much worse than it is right now so it's it's you know it's it seems like it's a huge deal at the time um mostly because it it happens generally the the occurrence that it happens is more than several lifetimes apart um so a lot of people don't experience more than one at a time um, and that's kind of a leading factor to the panic that that kind of grips the population when it does happen. Um, but it's definitely not something new. Right. All right, man. Let's get on into this bad boy. Let's do it. Truth. I actually sing that. All right. What's up, big guy? What's first? <laughs> Uh, okay, so first off, we're going to talk a little bit about the prehistoric epidemics, um, roughly around 3000 BC, actually. Um, so about 5,000 years ago, an epidemic wiped out a prehistoric village in China. Um, bodies of the dead were stuffed inside a house that was later burned down. Um, the archaeolo- archaeological site is now called Hamin Manga um, and is one of the best preserved prehistoric sites in northeastern China. Um, this is partly because, you know, after it was uh, the dead were disposed of, um, it was pretty much abandoned. Um, so there wasn't, you know, there wasn't any disruption to the area before it had a chance to be buried and, and uncovered. Um, archaeological and anthropological study indicates that the epidemic happened quickly enough, um, that there was no time for proper burials and the site was never inhabited again. Um, and that's kind of what I was talking about where it's that really, really aids in how well preserved that the site is. Um, another mass burial site was located at a different site in China, northeast of Hammond Manga. Um, this suggests that the epidemic spread more than just spread to more than just that one village, um, but ultimately it was not enough to cripple the entire nation. Um, right. Being 3000 BC, I would assume that has a lot to do with uh, the difficulty in travel. There wasn't, you know, not like nowadays to where you can hop on a plane and go anywhere in the world in just a few hours. So Right. 
Right. And and it, it seemed like kind of that one of those things where everyone who was either susceptible would either get it and then there's nothing they could do other than just let it run its course, mm-hmm. deal with it afterwards. Right. Not like they understood or knew exactly what was happening. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of crazy. And that, I mean, there's been nothing really said in terms of like what they think that disease was mm-hmm. or anything like that. But uh, it could be something as common as like the common cold that we know about. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there, there's it could always be something that we at least have a uh, a remnant of today. I mean, I'm, I'm being 5000 years ago would definitely be some sort of mutation of what it was originally. Um, it, we we kind of see that a little bit in uh, some of the later uh, pandemics and epidemics that we were going to talk about how there's definitely some evidence that it's, um, based on current diseases and illnesses and that we have today. Right. All right. Moving on to the plague of Athens around 430 BC, not long after a war between Athens and Sparta began, an epidemic actually ravaged the people of Athens and lasted for around five years. Some estimates put the death toll as high as 100,000 people. Um, And a Greek historian actually wrote, people in good health were all of a sudden attacked by violent heats in the head and redness and inflammation in the eyes. The inward parts, such as the throat and tongue, becoming bloody and emitting an unnatural and fetid breath. A number of diseases have been considered as possibilities, including typhoid fever and Ebola. Many believe that overcrowding caused by the war exacerbated this actual epidemic. And, you know, obviously today this kind of thing has been... Um, studied, and we know a lot more about Ebola, typhoid fever. But back then, everyone just kind of lived in like very tight quarters with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody. It was just kind of you know everyone went to the bathroom together, everybody showered together, everybody did everything uh, together. So the one thing about these is that, like you said, it's not as widespread because everyone is in just one area. No one's like, not everyone is just leaving Greece every single day to travel halfway across the country. It just doesn't happen back then. Right. And one thing that I kind of I, I kind of forgot to talk about at the beginning, um, something that we hear thrown around a lot um, is the interchangeability of epidemics and pandemics. Um, so before we start talking about uh, some of these other ones, we probably should set it straight a little bit. Now, this isn't a dictionary definition at all. Um, but an epidemic is generally a localized, um, plague or illness. Um, while a pandemic, uh, an epidemic turns into a pandemic when it becomes, when it spreads beyond the boundaries of a certain municipality, as far as, uh, in, in today's age, it would be once an illness leaves, the boundaries of a country, it becomes pandemic. Um, if it's contained within an individual country, um, it is an epidemic. Okay, so, that makes sense. Um, and it's going to be kind of interesting as we move through these, as we work from oldest to most current, um, we'll see them start to transition from epidemic to pandemic, correlating with um, the ease of travel and a more uh, worldwide civilization. Right. And it's kind of interesting, too, to kind of look at it in terms of like communication as well. You know, I mean, how many other countries or places in the world knew what was necessarily happening in Athens at this time? Nobody. Obviously, it kind of happened over a long <laughs> period of time, like five years. 
but not many people anywhere else could either anticipate or understand what's going on, um, which, you know, kind of gives us a big advantage in terms of today um, and why, you know, back then writing stuff down and kind of figuring out what happens in the lifespan of these epidemics uh, mm-hmm. kind of prepares us for what what is happening today. Right. No, exactly. Um, you know, it's it's now let, let's let's think about this. We know something's uh, something spreading rapidly in some other country or I guess even in a different state. You know, you think, OK, well, maybe I'm going to kind of be aware of who's traveling and and I'm not going to travel there and I'm going to be kind of uh, cautious around people who just came from there. Well, at this time. You know, you have absolutely no idea until basically word of mouth uh, gets back to back to wherever you're living, at, at which point it could already be spreading and infecting other people. Um, right. And then you probably already have it. Right. Exactly. So moving forward a little bit, we have the Antonine Plague, A.D. 6, <clears throat> A.D. 165 to 180. Um, when soldiers returned to the Roman Empire from campaigning war, they brought back what would become the Antonine Plague, uh, which may actually have been small, what we know as smallpox. It killed, it killed the entire army and may have killed over 5 million people in the Roman Empire. Um, now, that's kind of crazy. It is, and I don't exa- I'm not a huge... <laughs> you know, Roman history buff, but I do think 165 <laughs> to 180 is right around when the Roman Empire was declining anyway. Um, so this may have been a large contributing factor. Right, kind of like the last uh, nail in the coffin. Right, Roman Empire right. ending. <laughs> stalling, stalling while we stalling. look something up. <laughs> Uh, officially ended 476. Okay, so maybe I'm a liar. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, no, you actually are a liar. Well, when did it start? Officially ended, but you know, it could could have taken a long time. When did it start? Roman Empire (laughs) start. Quality podcasting right here. Uh, it came in like 27 to 14 BC. Well, okay. Well, t- 27 BC to around 14 AD. Oh, okay. So it's, I mean, this Antonian plague was midway through the Roman empire, I suppose. Roughly right. midway through. Okay. All right. So. so this is like the second nail in the coffin. There we go. Yeah. Not the last <laughs> nail. Just one. Not of, the last. Yeah. Yeah. He's just putting the <laughs> lid on. <laughs> just putting the lid on <laughs> do you want to take the next one too since sure uh, i'll take it has uh the black death traveled from asia i'm sorry the black death 1346 <laughs> to 1353 the black death traveled from asia to europe um leaving death in its wake some estimates suggest that it wiped out over half of europe's population the bubonic plague, uh, which was the most common name for it, and my screen just went black. Okay, there we go. Uh, spread by fleas on infected rodents, um, most mostly transmitted basically from ships' cargo, uh, as rodents would uh, 
uh, jump off and board ships at different ports. That's the main way of spreading across the countryside. Uh, right. The strain of bacteria, mostly non-existent today due to modern medicine. Um, there is definitely still cases of bubonic plague in uh, less developed countries today. Um, but pretty much in first world countries, it's almost non-existent. Um, right. And then you kind of think like, you know, Clorox wipes didn't exactly exist back in 1346. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. I mean, just the overall living conditions as well um, were not as uh, not as bad as they were then, obviously. Um, you know, if it's it generally is uh, spread through contact or sharing living spaces with rats. Uh, it's the actual fleas that lived on the racks that, that carried the plague. Um, and now, I mean, when's the last time you saw a rat run across your living room floor? You know, doesn't really happen that much anymore. Well, well, I keep a log, so let me go look at it quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, the plague changed the course of Europe's history. Uh, with so many dead, labor became harder and harder to find. Um, which actually brought better pay for workers and the end of kind of the end of Europe's system of serfdom. Uh, the lack of cheap labor may have also contributed to technological innovations, basically to, you know, if, if it's harder to find work, then you need to create work that is more efficient. Right. Uh, this also coincides with the Great Plague of London, 1665 to 1666, by which by the time the plague ended, around 100,000 people, including 15% of the population of London, had passed away from the plague. Right. Which and is, this is like huge astronomical numbers for like the time, you know? I mean, there wasn't, uh, what was, uh, oh, all right, I'm going to stall for a little bit. You go ahead and keep on talking. Population... Uh, and this is of the world in, sorry, shouldn't tell you to stall, but then keep on, uh, talking. I know. <laughs> it's, let's go ahead and say out everything I'm typing. Uh, 50.5 billion. So half a billion, 500 million people. No, that's gotta be the world, not just London. Yeah, no, no, I did type in the world, yeah. Oh, gotcha, okay. I'm like, yeah, there's no yeah. way there's five and a half billion people living in London. There's probably not, well, there's definitely not five and a half billion people in London now. <laughs> yeah. It would be 500 million. Right. I mean, oh that's a God. ton. All right. That is an absolute ton. a lot ton. of people. <laughs> <laughs> an absolute ton. Okay. Metric ton, uh, in this case. Metric, yeah, no, yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the flu pandemic, this is something that a lot of times people kind of uh, look back on in terms of modern day-ish, you know, big mm -hmm. pandemics. Um, I mean, not necessarily modern day, but this was something that really shattered the world after medicine has, has come a long way. So in the modern industrial age, new transport links made it easier for influenza viruses to wreak havoc. And in just a few months, the disease spanned the globe, killing one million people. And it took just five weeks for the epidemic to reach peak mortality. Reports show that the spread began in Russia. But that's the thing where like, 
influenza can change so much so fast. So one place could be, quote unquote, immune to it or have been exposed to it. But the fact that transportation links became so much easier in the industrial era, that same virus can affect the entire world completely differently. And that's kind of what we're seeing now. Um, you know, obviously people are more spread out in Nebraska than they are in Ohio. So it's like, obviously the spread and the impacts can be different, mm-hmm. but in the modern age, this was kind of the first go around with a pandemic. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's, it's with something that travels between nations and across the globe, it could be, you know, a strain of a virus that has been around for centuries in one place, all it takes is one carrier to go to a different place who has never even experienced that virus ever before. Um, so right. something that's not a big deal at all in one country could be devastating in another population. And that's still kind of what we see today, because even with COVID-19, a lot of talks were going around how this has existed for a while, but just not necessarily in this form. And then once it became what it became, it got spread outside that concentrated area where it has been there for years. And then now, um, obviously, has impacted the entire world. Um, And, you know, we have adapted in a way. Um, to cope with this and to get better, understand it more, and move on. Um, but we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could take the Spanish flu if you'd like. Go for it. Um, 1918 to 1920, an estimated 500 million people from the South Seas to the North Pole fell victim to the Spanish flu. One-fifth of those actually passed away, with some indigenous communities pushed to the brink of extinction. Um, the flu's spread and lethality was enhanced by the cramped conditions of soldiers and poor wartime nutrition that many people were actually experiencing as uh, World War One was kind of in full swing. Um, despite the name Spanish flu, the disease likely actually didn't actually start in Spain. Uh, Spain was the neutral nation during the war and did not enforce strict censorship of its press, which could therefore freely publish early accounts of the illness and kind of were the first ones um, to follow it and to see um, what was happening in terms of uh, the sickness. As a result, people falsely believed the illness was specific to Spain, and the name Spanish flu got stuck because Spain was the only one to really, uh, in the beginning, show the signs of this is what this is and this is what's happening. Right, and it's really just down to the media. Um, it was really the first place that there were any major news headlines uh, for any sort of flu. I mean, obviously, like right at the beginning, it wasn't called the Spanish flu. Um, but that's where you saw the first reports. Um, and so therefore it kind of just stuck. Right. And it's, it's kind of interesting to draw a little couple of like parallels in this just based on, um, more widely known communication, um, where it's like, you know, obviously people can communicate across the uh, ocean a little bit by this point. So people will get word in New York city and then, you know, a, uh, translated script of a European newspaper could be put in the newspaper, then that spreads across the U.S. You mm-hmm. know, this is kind of the early warning of mass communication. Not necessarily early warning, but now anybody around the world can kind of understand what's happening across. So they can see this happening and kind of almost prepare for it. In a mm-hmm. way. Yeah, exactly. And that's... that's uh 
basically kind of brings us right back around to the name of the Spanish flu. I mean, it's it's more or less a nickname that was given to it. I mean, like, basically, like you think of uh, any sort of correspondence, like, hey, you hear what's happening over in Spain? You know, they've got the, and then they start talking, and okay, well, it's the, you know, hey, you hear any updates on the Spanish flu? You know, and and there can be conversations on that at this time in history, early 1900s. There was definite, um, uh, it was a normal thing to have worldwide communications at this time, even though it was still uh, rudimentary compared to what we have today. Um, there was still basically real-time uh, communications. Right. So, moving forward again, uh, getting into the H1N1 swine flu pandemic of 2009 and 2010. The 2009 swine flu pandemic was caused uh, by a new strain of H1N1 that originated in Mexico in the spring of 2009 before ultimately spreading to the rest of the world. In one year, the virus infected as many as as 1.4 billion people across the globe and killed between 151,000 and 575,000 people. That's a pretty big jump. Yeah, I mean that is a huge gap. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's going to kind that that gap is going to kind of tie into a little bit of what we're talking about uh in a little bit when we talk about the current times and as far as COVID-19 goes. Um you know, as far as uh reporting of actual causes of deaths. Um, but anyway, primary primarily affected children and young adults um, with 80% of the deaths being uh, people younger than 65. This, this was recorded by the CDC. Um, that's actually pretty unusual considering that most strains of flu viruses, including those that cause the seasonal flu, cause the highest percentage of deaths in people of 65 and older, basically targeting anyone uh, with weakened immune systems. This would be the very young and the very old. Mm -hmm. Um, H1N1 vaccines are now included with annual flu shots. Um, And this is, of course, you know, obviously the the last one being 1918, uh, not a ton of people still around that would remember this. There's a few um, right. but this, not, n- not the last one. I mean, there were some in the early 2000s stuff like SARS and all that. that oh, we there were, necessarily put there's, in, but. there's been a ton. We've had to really, really kind of pick through and, and decide which ones to talk about. But I think excluding SARS, um, H1N1 is really one of the big ones that people still remember. Um, and people right. still talk about today. Um, and there's, as, as far as comparing data, um, even with Spanish flu being a little bit older, um, the H1N1 and the Spanish flu are really the ones that are ever compared to when you're talking about uh, death toll and infection rates. Right. Being in, right. you know, most recent memory. Right. <clears throat> um, and then that kind of brings us a full circle around into the current situation in this. I mean, we do not claim to be any sort of experts on any of these, but we just kind of want to get a snapshot We're actually of how it's changed. Yeah, we had PhDs. <laughs> um, you can make an appointment with me. 
if you'd like. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> so we're going to kind of talk about in terms of what we've been experiencing as well as our take on how the world is going to uh, change due to this. I mean, as much as I remember, like H1N1, I remember it being a big thing. But once it kind of calmed down, I've never really felt that life was different in terms of social distancing. I mean, work from home was not necessarily as common or as easy as it was, you know, back in early 2010 than it is now. But it's just life didn't really change after it was like, okay, well, it's fine. You know, once you get a flu shot, you get H1N1 vaccine. No worries. Don't have to social distance. Everything's fine. But with this being so unique and interesting, I wanted to kind of talk about what do we think is going to happen for the rest of our lives? Like people have started to realize that you can work from home successfully. You can do school remotely successfully. I mean, it's been a big transition and learning period, but it's possible. Like, what do you think? Are we talking, are we going to talk forward? about this in like our, each other's personal views? Or are we going to, are we doing just kind of an overall no, yeah, no, I, I was planning on talking about views, views a little bit because gotcha. more of just like the broad idea of looking at this is happening and then kind of our take on what it's going to look like at the end of it. Gotcha. Well, because this is like history in the making, which it, is nuts. It is. Um, so I guess since you introduced it, I'll kind of maybe open it up a little bit with my views on it. Um, not interested. All right, moving on. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My my opinions on the matter are somewhat unpopular, and I will, based on you know that's you know we stray away from anything political on this show for you know not alienating certain aspects of the audience. Um, so I won't talk about that either, but. I don't I don't see after everything's said and done which I definitely see being done after sometime after this year um, I see everything going back to normal just like it did after everything else after Spanish flu after H1N1 I don't see I'll maybe I expect to see some sort of awareness in society um, okay. maybe a like kind of thinking twice about um, better, not necessarily hygiene, but personal space at airports and international travel and that sort of thing. I expect okay. long lasting, if not permanent stuff from that. But for the most part, I, I see nothing changing. I see everything going back to normal sooner rather than later. Um, that's based off of looking through history as well as, what I hear from friends and coworkers and people on the street, basically. Um, I see most of the panic, uh, maybe that's not the right word, most of the uh, predictions and that sort of thing are all coming from really news and media. And when you actually talk to real-life people, it seems like there's a greater desire and a greater desire to get back to normal as soon as possible. Um, rather right. than like doom and gloom apocalypse kind of talk that you see on the media. Um, right. and without getting in, you know, getting into my views, I think 
a lot of numbers that you see are also way inflated as to um, actual death rates compared to infection rates. Um, so once it, it, it once once we actually start seeing real numbers and seeing real statistics that aren't um, boy, I'm having a hard time with words. Real statistics that aren't uh, <laughs> estimations. Um, I think people are going to go even more that direction as to like, all right, we're we're over it. We're going back to normal. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I get it. And then you know, I, me personally, I feel like it's kind of um, come to a head in terms of people hearing about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say it. I mean. It, this is obviously very important and it's very important for people to be in the know and be safe. But for me, it's kind of like, I'm just becoming almost numb to it at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, obviously I want to keep people safe and I'm going to pe- keep on doing what I need to do to make sure communities are safe. But uh, I feel like this is going to forever change. Um, I think like, like you were saying, people's awarenesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are going to uh, think twice maybe about going to the grocery store because they've realized that there's ways you can get groceries without going out all the time. Like we've gotten groceries through an online app and then people get them and then drop them off for us. Mm-hmm. But that's also another job for somebody. So everyone's still working at the uh, grocery store, but then now it's the person's job to shop for you know a family of three or a family of four and it's only one person going and all that kind of stuff which obviously could happen just by that one person of the family going but great no i i uh i definitely see that as well um i don't want to step on your toes as you're continuing to go through i see that as uh less about overall awareness and personally i see i see people still continuing to do that but more out of convenience than anything else oh Um, i see what you're saying almost like Like they know it's there right like like as technology and uh the market goes towards a order it and it'll show up your at your door direction i think people will stick with it more for the convenience factor of it than the actual worried about contracting anything. Um, I see what you're saying. But I definitely think, I mean, that's how we see everything. It's, it's war and illnesses are what change society the most as far as technological innovations go. Um, and so I think this is not an exception to it at all. Right. Right. I mean, look at that. Netflix is going to realize that they need more bandwidth and need more servers. So they're <laughs> going to upgrade. Well, um, Real, I, I don't want to railroad your topic, but that's that's that is a fantastic point. Um, looking at movie theaters industry, uh, Cinemax yeah. and uh, boy, all the rest of the names just left my brain. Um, <laughs> but look at look at all the movies that are coming directly out to pay per view, basically not pay, the right. actual pay per view service, but like you know you can rent it earlier at home, um, right? Like direct to stream kind of thing. Yeah, I mean the one the one that I keep I keep hearing the most about is the new Trolls movie. Now I don't care to see that at all in the slightest, but it's a great <laughs> example because the the new Trolls two that came out, uh, what was the stat? It's it made like double or triple the profit in like a month than the original did 
for like the entire last year. Oh, wow. Just well, I mean, it makes of, sense because all of these kids and families are at home, you mm-hmm. know? And I see that as I see a lot of movie theaters closing um, because of this. I think production studios are realizing that movie theaters aren't where the money's at anymore. And so I think there's going to be a lot of movies that are going directly to pay-per-view. Um, you know, they might still offer offer it in the movie theaters for people who want to go do that, but they're also going to offer it at home because that's where the money is. Um, right. You know, you might be able to charge more per view, but I know people wise, I mean, what is, what's the average rental for a, uh, a movie that just came out is it's like 20 bucks to watch it that night. But if you have a family of five, 20 bucks versus paying a movie ticket for all five, Cheaper right. for the family, but there's more money to be made for the production studio. So I definitely see that right, as a major all, change. Right, because all that money will come pretty much directly to the movie distributor and stuff like that, rather than a cut taken out of here and there and there yeah. and here. A lot of movie um, theater contracts are like a 50% cut. Right. Nuts. Mm-hmm. But it sucks because like, I love the atmosphere of movie theaters. I love the act of just going and experiencing something in a mm-hmm. big room with amazing sound equipment on a big screen that is way too big than needed, but it's worth it. Like that's the kind of thing I enjoy. Oh yeah, I agree. uh, I I think that they're not going to close entirely. I don't think it's going to go away because there are still lots of people like you who enjoy that. Um, and they still want the movie theater experience. I just think that we're going to see more and more movies go directly to digital format, um, as an option. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that they're going to start taking out seats in movie theaters. So you're six feet apart (laughs) <laughs> just kidding that actually be encouraged regardless right. of pandemic like that, <laughs> that, please that do that encouraged <laughs> uh, anyway I, we kind of got off topic on what you were saying um i'd like to go back to to your uh what your views on the long-lasting effects of covid19 are oh yeah <clears throat> i think um and it's sad and I don't want to like be like this, but I feel like companies are really going to start to realize that for one, they don't necessarily have to have a big ass building anymore to get the same amount of work done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That cuts costs there. Or let's say uh, a company realizes that they can get away a lot more with the same business, but with less people. Why would they bring people back if they're making just as amount as money as they did before? Mm-hmm. but not having as many paychecks like it's sad but you know that's also could be reality mm-hmm. it's just kind of a crazy thing to think about because you see all the kind of stuff that happens with big corporate anyway i mean that's the way they're going to think so i think it's just going to be interesting to see once the curve starts coming back down to normalcy how everything is going to be normal again i don't think normal is ever going to be the same again if that makes sense a lot of things have been rattled. I mean, obviously things will get back to normal where we can go out to bars and have a good time, but normal is just going to be different. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. No, it does. It does. I think, I, I think you're right. As far as, uh, companies go, I think, I mean, I think it'll personally, I think it'll get back to more normal. Um, people will go back to the companies will rehire again, um, oh, and yeah. be back oh, to yeah. their usual, usual dealings but i do think i do agree that uh you know there is especially in the corporate world there is a ton of bureaucracy um and i think that 
uh, these big giant bloated companies will realize that they can accomplish the same thing. It, I mean, it's the same mentality as uh, work smarter, not harder. Uh, be more efficient mm-hmm. and get the same amount done with uh, less work, less resources, um, less overhead. Um, so I think that I do agree that that this is kind of a wake up call to a lot of big corporations that see that they don't necessarily need all of the people that they currently have on staff. Right. And this by no means, I mean, we want everyone to be happy, supported, um, and get everything that they need to be all right. Um, it's just kind of crazy and who knows what this is going to look like. Um, and then, you know, one positive thing about this is this has really put it ingrained into me how easy it is to actually stay connected with people in these times where normal to me felt like I didn't have time for anything, you know, but now it's like with me still working just as much as I used to. I'm starting to realize that it's really not that hard to pick up that phone to FaceTime or call friends, family, to play a game. Because you would do that any other time, but now I can do that with anybody, all of my friends around the world. Like, Mm. this has really made me realize how easy it is for us to play Rocket League at 10 (laughs) o'clock on a Friday night. Like, (laughs) there is no excuse anymore, I feel like, to saying you don't have time when it's just that easy. Yeah. No, that's true. You just gave a lot of people, you just ruined their excuse for not wanting to talk to people. Sorry. <laughs> I guess if you don't, you know, feel like it, don't feel like you have to. You see, with our vast audience, you just threw like 20 people under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you antisocial pieces of crap. <laughs> oh, God, I love it. It's uh, funny. So, but, what do you think, big guy? You got anything else before we can wrap up this this show i don't i think that was a good show definitely one of our little bit longer ones probably because we rambled for like 15 minutes before we actually started talking about subject matter it was worth it it was good to be back (laughs) yeah that's true you know uh, classic you know we take three weeks off and then you know still unprepared for the show right (laughs) and then we just want to catch up with you guys that's all that matters Thank you guys so much. And honestly, you know, we just want to, we want to stay positive. Uh, We just want to kind of talk about it because this is history in the making. It's going to be interesting to kind of look back on this and see what has happened once we get back to normal. And we really do hope everyone is safe. Their lives are okay. uh, And things are still chugging forward um, in a fashion that you're comfortable with and that you know you'll be all right at the end of this. We're all here together. If you need to talk or uh, tell us an anecdote or a fun thing that you've been doing to keep yourself busy, give us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. You can find us on your favorite podcasting app, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. We're out there. Let us know what you think. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review. Take a few seconds out of your day. Let us know what you enjoy down in the reviews and the comments, and that would be absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for sticking with us. It's good to be back. We plan on being on another regular schedule after a hiccup in our uh, lives as I moved in a global pandemic. That's one thing (laughs) I will never forget. Ben, anything else, big guy? No, that was a good show. Um, tried to keep it a little bit on the lighthearted side, even though we were talking about deadly illnesses. Uh, <laughs> definitely kind of a little bit of a challenge. Um, but, I mean, it was a good show nonetheless. A uh, good show to come back to. Uh, very relevant in today's day and age. Um, right. Good to be back. I love it. Thank you so much. As always, 
We're here for you. And if you have any requests, let us know. YoungNostalgiaPod at gmail.com. As we always say here on Young Nostalgia. Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.